Welcome to episode 36 of the Knit British podcast. Knit British loves to support wool that's been grown, spun or dyed in the UK and I'm your host Louise Scully. This week's episode was recorded a few weeks ago with Christina Bolden of Romney Marsh Wools. Christina and her husband Paul farm on the Romney Marshes situated in the southeast corner of England. The Romney Marshes cover an area of approximately 100 square miles and they farm on the same farm that Paul's great-great-grandfather first farmed Romney ewes on in the early 1880s. Join Christina and I as we talk about her journey in wool and how her business Romney Marsh Wools grew out of that selling wool from their Romney and Merino flocks as well as lanolin products and woven products. We also talk about the British wool industry in general and I asked Christina about how she sees the future for British wool and for Romney Marsh Wools. So grab a drink Grab your whip and join Christina and I to talk about Romney Marsh Wolves. Knit British is delighted to be sponsored by Brit Yarn. Isla has gathered together the very best in British wool all under one roof. To share and celebrate in a love of British wool, head over to brityarn.co.uk or click on the logo in the show notes. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm really good. I should probably just start by saying that Knit British listeners are really interested, obviously, in British wool. And I think they're quite discerning. I'm, I'm sure you realise this now as well. That people are very interested in provenance. Yeah. Very discerning when it comes to to what they knit with and so quite well versed and really interested in breeds and really interested in characteristics of breeds and things like that so I think what we'll do I'd like to do anyway is just kind of have a little bit of a laid-back chat and get to know a bit about Romney Marsh Wools a bit about you a bit about the sheep and your products and your woolly journey so does that sound okay yeah it sounds great Do you want to start by um, maybe telling us a little bit about your farm? Okay, so um, so we farm on the Romney Marsh in Kent. My husband's um, the sixth generation on the family farm. It was his great-great-grandfather who set off with some of the original Romney ewes um, back in 1882. And so since the beginning, we've always had Romney sheep on our farm. Um, in fact, the Romney breed are indigenous to the Romney Marsh area. They are circa 13th century breed, and they're what's known as a hardy breed because they can actually cope with the conditions of the Romney Marsh. It can be very lovely, but it can also be very bleak and wet, you see. Uh, is it quite flat then as well? It is, yes. The marsh sort of, it's, it spans quite far. We're at the beginning of the marsh. We farm just the other side of Aldington down towards Dimchurch. Um, I suppose we farm on around 2,500 acres, so it's a fairly large concern. Um, but we also grow crop as well as keep our, our sheep. But the sheep form a really important part of our modern day farming system because they're able to graze clover rich pastures and we're obviously able to rotate our land as well. We with them so um, you know say so they are really important to us to our modern day farming system so to speak 
And is it just sheep that you have? No, we also have some cattle as well. Um, and as I say, we grow crop both for human consumption as well as for animal feed. But um, the wool was really what we diversified with because we wanted to add value. You know, wool is natural, renewable, sustainable and incredibly versatile. Um, we probably produce between five and six tonnes of wool a year on our farm alone. Um, and whilst we don't waste any of our wool, it all goes through um, the British Wool Marketing Board, who are our governing body acting on behalf of the farmers. Um, so I don't know if people know, but about 80% of all British wool ends up in carpets. Um, but obviously each breed has a slightly different type of fleece and you know Romneys are one of the softer fleeces out of the British breeds and actually very adaptable um, and suitable for things like throws and knitting yarn. As I said each breed has got different type of fleece and um, the more northern the sheep the, the coarser the fleece tends to be so if you go up to the highlands for example the fleece the best way to describe the microns is how you measure the fineness of the fleece. So yeah. if you imagine your own human hair, it's around 100 microns. So effectively, a highland sheep will probably sit around 50 microns. So you could wear it, but it'd be quite itchy. Yeah, I think that's probably more like your Scottish black faces. Absolutely. And the ones that aren't suitable for knitting at all well they probably don't have an insulation for that so um yeah but yeah. Um, are you wicks as well i guess yeah, yeah absolutely um and then obviously the romneys now they sit around the sort of early 30 microns so sort of 31 32 um so much finer wool out of the british breeds um, now the sort of Ferrari of the sheep, so to speak, would be the Merinos, who are well famous for having the finest fleeces. And in fact, I know in Australia they've got it right down to about 11 microns. So, you know, most people there say they can't wear wool because it, it irritates their skin. In fact, can wear Merino because it's so incredibly fine. Um, and it's really interesting because in the fashion world, they really like to go up to around 30 microns um, for clothing. They sort of consider anything above that to begin to go on the other side. So I suppose the Romneys, you know, they're just on that age. Um, but obviously, if you've got sort of lamb's wool, then, you know, a bit like baby hair, that will make it much finer. So it normally tends to sit around 28 microns for, for the lamb's wool. And, uh, and you mentioned there the merinos, and you have merinos as well. So, what is how, how much of, of the merinos, and how many of the, the romneys do you have? So, as I say, the romneys we've always had within the family. So, we've got we run just over a thousand romney ewes on the farm. Um, now, the merinos really we um we took them on back in 2008 when we founded Romney Marsh Walls and um, there was a couple in Sussex who were who were retiring um and were looking for someone to take on their small flock of merino sheep um and because they'd heard what we were doing with our business they felt you know we were quite suited to take them on because obviously with them having such fine wool we would be able to sort of make things from it um and so that's when we sort of as they took them on first and they are very, very different characters to the Romneys. I mean, the Romneys would say they're very hardy, um, they're very good mothers, um, and they sort of say they kind of manage themselves a lot on their own. Um, I have to admit, with the Merinos, they're a bit more full-time. They're lovely characters as well. They're sort of like teddy bears, really, in look. Um, but we do tend to keep them up a bit higher because they don't tend to cope quite so well with the marshy land. Um, and we also find that we need to sort of um, land them indoors. They do better that way. So it's been yeah. quite an interesting journey. 
Um, I don't know if your listeners know much about the merino sheep, but they're actually a North African cross Mediterranean sheep, and it was. Well, I think they originated in Spain. That's actually. right. Yeah. yeah, it was the Spanish who recognised them for their incredibly fine fleeces, um, and between sort of the 16th and 18th um, hundreds, they had a thriving textile industry. Um, in fact, they weren't exporting any at all. It was only when the Flanagan Wars occurred that they started exporting them around the world. Um, and that's when a lot went to sort of Australia, North America um, and places like that. So obviously a few did topple into the UK. Um, but I suppose because they are more of a southern hemisphere sheep um, and in Britain we, we sort of tend to, to breed our sheep both for the meat as well as for the wool. Um, so the Australians, I suppose, for years had a bit of monopoly around the merinos, so to speak. And have your are your merinos pure merino, or have they been um, bred with other English breeds to make them a slightly more hardier? Um, well, no, they are pure Saxon merinos. Um, we have also got some that are crosses, so we have crossed some with our own Romney, so um, which obviously. Um, their, their fleeces are still finer than a Romney, but sort of a bit higher than the pure merinos. Um, but we've we really we've got three families running, um, and it's, it is quite interesting because there are so few in this country. I mean, we've had to go all the way up to Lake District to get ourselves a ram, and this year we went all the way up to Scotland. So <laughs> um, because there just isn't many here, um, the biggest yeah. stock we really know of is a lady in in um, Scotland. She's got five hundred. She in the borders. Mm, she is, but I, I believe she sort of um, sell, sends all her wool to Italy to get spun up there. So, Sadly. yeah, it's just, I don't really think it's the UK market. No, and really, it's it's brilliant that you have merino because one of the biggest questions that I get asked actually is um, where can I get British merino? I'm a big advocate of let's love and embrace all the textures of all our British breeds, but people will always love merino and it's fantastic because I think blacker for a very small time had a very small amount of English merino but it's brilliant that, that now I can say yes <laughs> um, because it is it's, it's a real it's a real prestige with hand knitters to have that buttery soft merino and to have it in this country is fantastic. It is absolutely stunning. So, you know, we work hard in maintaining our 60 that we have <laughs> but they are lovely. <laughs> They do look lovely with those lovely little ears. Oh, they're so cute. <laughs> they really are. And um, and do you shear both the Romneys and the Merinos at the same time of year, or do they have separate needs? No, we we do shear them once a year. Um, you, I think in Australia they do tend to shear some of them twice a year. Um, but really, because of the conditions that we have here, I don't think it'd be very fair to share them twice, so we just do it once. Especially not this summer. No. Well, let's talk a little bit about Romney Marsh Wools then. So how did the business start? What was the start of that journey for you? So um, Paul's obviously um, always been farming. I've personally married into a family farm, so for me it's been a real steep learning curve. Um, but Paul's particularly always been really passionate about the sheep and what else could be done with the wool. Um, and in fact, you know, he's uh, he's taken me to wonderful places like Wonderwool and uh, Fiber East, and <laughs> it was actually through absolutely, and it, it's really been eye opener for me. Um, and through one of those events, we actually met our weaver. Um, 
and I suppose we just thought, you know, wool seems such an obvious area to try and add value to. I'm sure you all know that sort of 10, 15 years ago, wool was almost considered worthless, which is really criminal. Burn it, burn it, yeah. Um, and it just seems so incredible that wool has to be exported and imported all around the world. When, as I say, we produce between five and six tons of wool alone here. Um, yeah, and we less than 30% of it stays here. Exactly, and we still do have some skills left here, and I think it's really important that we look after those because once they disappear, it's so difficult to get mills back. Um, you know, we, we're having to travel all the way to either Wales or Yorkshire. You know, there's obviously mills up in Scotland, but, you know, there's nothing in Kent. They've all gone, which is really such a shame, particularly when you look back at the history of the Romney Marsh. You know, there's so many churches here, and that would have all been built through the woolen industry. Yeah. Um, so, you know, because it was 100 years ago, wool was one of the most important export commodities for this country. Yeah. So, you know, for it to have had such a nosedive in the 60s and 70s when man-made fibres became attainable, um, People perhaps just didn't understand, you know, how bad man-made, you know, fibre is. Um, whereas wool, I could probably bore you with the list of things you, that wool is so amazing <laughs> with. I guarantee you would never bore me about wool. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it is just, as I say, it's incredibly versatile. And it's, there's very, very few things in life that you can say are natural, renewable, sustainable and it does all of those things and I just feel that in this country we really underutilize it and there's a lot of work to be done there and that's really where Romney Marsh wool sort of started. Did you start with the sort of wool and woven products or did you know yeah we're going to do wool, we're going to do woven products, we're going to do um, health and beauty products? We were sat there one evening and basically we had these bare um, um, windows and I knew that my mother-in-law is an amazing seamstress so I turned to Paul and said wouldn't it be really amazing if our curtains was made from our own wool and um, I knew Paul would really go for that so um, we dug up our weavers um, contact details Roger who we still use today and um, I gave him a ring and I said would it be possible to have some of our wool made into you know some curtain materials and he said um, yeah no problem you know just send me down a hundred kilos and um, I'll process that for you no problem and um, we both sort of thought right that's quite a lot of wool um, what else can we do with it so um, we basically um, what we did was we decided to have our very first run of some woven throws um, and you know when we got them back the very first event, event we went to was just a local event at Leeds Castle actually it was in the middle of summer and we took our sort of throws um, and we stood there and we tried to gauge what people thought about us as farmers actually making something out of our wool um, and interestingly enough you know still here so we've got quite a good <laughs> reception for it um, and, and it, so, so it was the throws that we started with and then you know, we did a lot of market research. I was doing full-time employment, um, sort of over the next sort of two years, really. Um, we, we sort of went to, well, it became a bit of a full-time hobby, I suppose. Went to a lot of events. 
um, to try and sort of gauge, you know, this this interest for the wool. And through that, we got lots of ideas, and you know, people started asking for knitting yarn as well. And so that's when we decided to go down the knitting yarn route as well. Um, so it sort of has just grown organically, I suppose, over the years. And sort of four and a half years ago, I gave up my full-time job um, because we really found that people liked the provenance. They liked, you know, they have a lot of associations with the Romney Marsh um, because it is steeped in history. They love the fact they can come and see the sheep in the field and they know that it's all been manufactured in the UK and, and it, you know, it comes from our farm. Um, so I think provenance is, is a really important thing to a lot of people. It really is, and I find it more and more, it gets stronger and stronger. And I think really in the last, even the last two years or so, it's people are just asking so many more questions about the yarn that they're knitting with. And whether it started with the heightened interest in buying British and buying local and, and a lot of great marketing that's been going on in that sector, you know, buying your food locally and things like that, I think wool has definitely um, sort of followed suit. And people not only just knitting with British blended wools, but single breed yarns and, and rare breeds and critical breeds. And was Romney conservation breed for a wee while? Is it back off the list now? Yes. Yeah, it yeah. Is at the moment. Um, and which is fantastic, and I think that people, when people realise that they're, the yarn that they're buying of that single breed yarn is actually helping to maintain that sheep breed in the UK, Absolutely. I think it's a really sat, it's a really satisfying thing. And then when they can look at their knitted article and know where that yarn came from, and that that has you know, help to conserve a breed. That's fantastic, I think. And I think it is a real sense of satisfaction for people. Absolutely. Um, and th there's a lot of interest in sort of what I call farm up yarns, like yourselves, like um, Hole and Sons, um, you know, of uh, um, with a good web presence and, and so certainly social media as well. And I think that people who follow, follow people on uh, like yourself on Facebook, perhaps, or or Twitter and, and can see what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and can watch your videos online. I think that also is a really good way of marketing what you do and then, you know, that people can buy that yarn at the end of the day or buy your soap or buy your... Do you find that you get a lot of traffic from social media? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that connection, people getting to know who you are and, you know, as you say, your day-to-day running off the farm um, and it just it just makes them feel part of it really um, and also they like to learn about the sheep um, I mean we, we sort of we try and do some educational pieces we try and do some funny Mondays even with funny things that happen around the sheep and we show the shearing process we try and show each season as well um, and I think not everybody has the opportunity to come and visit a farm, so for them to be able to sort of tune in on social media is really amazing. Um, and I think the education is so important. Um, you know, we're really fortunate where we live out in the countryside, but there are a lot of people that live in the city and they just don't have those opportunities. So this is a nice way for them to, to sort of be able to, to be a part of it, I suppose. Um, exactly, and I think it is gives such a better understanding of 
of wool and what it takes to get that you know skein of yarn that you're knitting with where that's come from um i think it's really important and i think there is now as, as i say even in just the last couple of years such better understanding because of things like social media and fantastic web presences and education which is really important i think that's why people are so discerning now and provenance is such a huge thing it's it's a it's a fascinating thing and it must be fascinating from where you are but I wanted to sort of ask, because there's been such a great upsurge in interest in British wool, what would you like to see happening next in terms of the future of British wool and, and what you're doing? Um, for me, I'm hoping that um, more and more farmers will sort of look at what else they can do with the wool. Um, from a country point of view, I think the government, it would be great if they would sort of back wool a bit more. I find it incredible that, you know, we are looking at more solar panels and sort of wind turbines. Wool is an amazing insulator. Um, at the moment, it's really expensive to process because there's only two places that you can actually process it. Um, so it's very expensive because yeah. it's more, you know, small volumes. Really, I think if if maybe the government could get behind building a big plant, you know, why not process lots of British wool into making for insulation? It's particularly the wool that sort of sits up in, you know, say that's perhaps more coarse. Yes. Um, and you know they could then basically use that for insulation because if if the cost went down, who wouldn't choose it over nasty man-made fiber? You know, um, fiberglass exactly. is da dangerous to work with. So I think there's a lot to be done there as well. Um, I mean, we're really lucky. I think we've got Prince Charles backing it. You've got Adam Henderson. So we've got some really good ambassadors. Yeah. But it's getting that message out there and just getting people to think outside of the box. Um, you know, I, I, farmers are very busy, <laughs> you know, farming is literally a way of life. Paul and I work really well together because he does, you know, day-to-day -day farming, whereas I'm able to sort of really run this side of the business. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's maybe if this, you know, my view is if we could grow this business, the Romney Marsh Walls may not just become about our sheep, but potentially it could be about any Romneys within sort of the area um, and that could be really exciting um, so it is literally just about getting the message out there and hopefully getting people to understand all the benefits of, of why actually British wool is amazing and it's not always really rough which is what some people think yeah I think that people will squash a ball of wool and think oh that's soft or oh that's not soft and don't actually think beyond that squish of the ball of wool and think about what it might become and because as we know fleece feels different to spun wool and knitted wool feels different and um, as you wash it and wear it and wash it and wear it it gets better and better sometimes yes. and and I'd love to see something more joined up uh, there's there's the two big myths I think that people think about British wool is one that it's scratchy and one that it's expensive and it's really it's really neither there's there's something for every pocket, definitely, and there's there's a yarn for every sensitivity. But I, um, I do think that, that people sort of get caught up with the idea that that it's rough. I think, and possibly because of the carpet. Yeah. You know that the fact that it, that a lot of British breed wools are used in carpets and upholstery, and I think that's where the, this scratchy assumption comes from. But education is really important, and I think it's it's good good to see the marketing board sort of going down that route now as well. And getting a bit of educational resources on their website yeah, and things, it's and, so and 
you must find at events and things that people ask you a lot about the characteristics of the of the um, wool. Yes, they do. They they always. I mean, I um, tend to have a piece of of our fleece to show people actually because the Romney has actually got really long staples. So for spinners, mm. they love spinning it's with. Fantastic. Yeah, they absolutely yeah. love it because it's very um, easy to spin with. Um, and as I say, it's actually it is quite soft. So I'm really fortunate. I've got a knitter um, who basically lives in the same village as me um, and we've started developing quite a few patterns um, yes. and I think that's another angle really that you know there seems to be quite a request for is, is actually knowing what to knit with with the yarn um, and having specific patterns for the for the sort of um, different gauges I find has been sort of real uptake um, yeah and it you know again I tend to try and have a sample of a finished product as well and people are sort of really amazed that you know it's British wool because it is actually yeah. quite soft um, yeah. and this like you say there's this misconception around British wool is having to be very coarse well not all British wool is because you know yeah. they are so different um, and you know there's so much you can do with it as well because you've got a whole host of like you say different breeds with different types of fleeces and different colors you can do a whole you know, spectrum of colors just with the natural colors never mind if yeah. you decide to go down the dyeing route there are so many options that you can do. exactly I mean gradient colored yarns are so big at the moment and I keep saying the best gradient colors out there are natural British sheep breeds yeah. you have a, a a rainbow of that. But talking about dyeing, you, you, this is my yeah. gray, my um, dark Romney. It's come up as a grey. Oh, that is beautiful. Is I'm very excited. Oh, that's fantastic. Because I was going to ask about colours, and if you just really tend to have, if you have white um, Romneys, or um, if you have coloured. Yeah, it's all been cream. It's been cream, but we've just. Uh, this is my newest batch. It's literally in for about three weeks. Do you, have you gone down the sort of dyeing route yet? Have you tried? We've decided not to go down the dyeing route um, for two reasons. One, we do actually have some coloured Romneys, so this is our dark Romney. Um, and we personally just felt that we could achieve quite a spectrum of colours with the natural colours. Um, yeah. Let's say this grey is our first, but we are going to look at doing um, sort of a whole rainbow because they almost, I don't know if you can see it from there, but it's almost spans from a brown to a black to a grey um, yeah. and you know when it comes to dyeing it's, it's another complexity really now with our wool I know people that have bought it and have dyed it and it comes up really well so you know I think people have still got the option if they want to go down the coloured route yeah. they can just dye it at home um, so for us, for now, we're definitely just sticking with the natural colours, um, which, as I say, I think you can achieve a lot with natural colours anyway. What about events? Because you're talking about doing Wonder Wool and things like that. Do you tend to do all of the woolly events that come up? Um, I, I do do more local ones, if I'm honest. So I do, um, I'll be doing Fiber East, which is coming up in oh. sort of 25th, 26th of this month. So I shall be there, which is a really nice fair. Fiber East, I did the NSA, and we did Ickworth House as well. Um, but as I say, because I do over 100 events in a year, um, really, they, they quite span from sort of ploughing matches um, country fairs through to country living for example so I do quite a mix because of because of the range I have um, we sort of try and 
and attend, you know, the places where where basically we feel we can appeal. Um, and I have to admit, my children are quite young still, so I try not to go away for too long because um, they're only five and six. So, <laughs> but I mean, we in Kent we've got something called um, Wonderwall, which is in Wadhurst, and um, that only started last year, and that it's gone really well, and they're running it sort of several times a year now, and it gets really that's good. great. Yeah, it gets really good footfall, um, and it was really sort of um, it started because obviously you had the fiber east and. And people, you know, the people that are running it just felt that there was a gap in Kent. You know, why didn't we have anything down this way? Um, and that's when they set it up, and that's been really good. Um, but I mean, in in terms of what what I'm hoping to do in the future is, I, I you know, I'm hoping that um, perhaps someone else will be able to sort of join the team, and then we'll be able to cover more areas as well and grow that way. Um, but you know, we're still quite a small business, and You've yeah. got to be realistic in in what you can and can't do until you get to sort of like a certain stage. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, so um, Fiber East is coming up. Is there any other events or any other projects that you want to talk about? Um, well, as I say, um, if if people want anything, we do our website, so you can buy online. Yeah. Um, you could online. This it does show the stockists. So if you are in Kent predominantly, then obviously you can see where you can get them from stockists. Um, and it also shows all the events I'm going to be at, so you can actually track Excellent. us. Um, and otherwise, you know, please please follow us on the social media channels as well because it's a really nice way for us to get to know you. Um, yeah. And if they have any questions, you know, we're always here. So it's, it's really nice to hear from people, actually. I love having <laughs> little chats with them, and I learn a lot as well. Um, so, yeah. And do you have a new... Do you have a newsletter? Uh, we do, yes. We started our newsletter this, this year. So, um, you know, if people would like to sign up for that, that would be amazing because we're trying to sort of grow that. Um, and from time to time, we offer little discounts on there as well. So um, it's worth it's worth having the newsletter. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much and, and um, for talking to me. And thank you for coming on Net oh, British. Oh, it's been lovely and to meet you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks to Christina for giving her time so generously and putting up with the gremlins that we had during the recording of that chat. Thankfully that came out in the edit. I will be reviewing Christina's Romney yarn on the blog in the very near future. This is the grey yarn that she was talking about in the podcast and is one of the natural colours that she has had spun recently and will be adding to her range. I will also be doing a giveaway on that same blog for a skein of their fantastic British Merino yarn. All the links are with the show notes which you can find at www.knitbritish.net forward slash ep hyphen 36. And if you want to visit Romney Marsh Wools, then go to www.romneymarshwools.co.uk. They are also on Twitter as at Romney Marsh Wool and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Romney Marsh Wools. Thanks so much again to Christina and to Romney Marsh Wools. The Knit British podcast is taking a very short break 
due to a family bereavement. But I will be back soon and I'll let you know on social media when episode 37 is forthcoming. Take good care. Thanks for listening to the Knit British Podcast. To find out more, visit www.knitbritish.net. You can email me louise at knitbritish.net. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at knit underscore British. And I'm on Ravelry as Lyra. You can listen to the podcast via iTunes and knitbritish.net. <laughs> <laughs>